Hello, everyone. Uh, I hope you're having a great conference. It's an honor to speak to you all on the topic, Did Yeshua Declare All Foods Clean? This is my 11th time coming to Messiah Conference, and it's, it's always a highlight uh, of my year. The reason I went to grad school to study New Testament and work in Messianic Jewish apologetics is due in large part to pivotal experiences at this, at this particular conference. My approach in this field has been shaped by a debate Eric and I hosted in college. So just to kind of give some background of, of where I'm coming from. In 2017, um, Eric and I, we hosted an exciting debate at Kennesaw State University on the topic, Is Jesus the Jewish Messiah? The participants were Dr. Michael Brown and Rabbi Daniel Freitag, an Orthodox rabbi from our local community. And Dr. Brown opened with a positive case for Yeshua's Messiahship. He made a strong argument that drew heavily upon Messianic prophecies in the Tanakh. And when it was Rabbi Freitag's turn to speak, he got up there. And also, he had very short time to prepare for this debate. He actually accepted the debate with 40, pretty much a 48-hour notice. So it was, it was impressive that he came. But when he got up to uh, present his case, he based his entire argument, his, his entire case, that Yeshua is not the Messiah on just one point. He passionately asserted and defended that the Torah clearly instructs Jewish people to reject anyone who claims that Jewish people no longer need to keep the commandments. According to him, this fundamental point outweighs any evidence or arguments regarding Yeshua as the Messiah derived from Messianic prophecy in the Tanakh. Because according to him, he says, no Jew should accept a Messiah who releases them from the responsibility to keep the commandments. Rabbi Freitag, a succinct statement he made in the debate that really encapsulate uh, where he was coming from, is he said, the idea that a Jew would accept a Messiah dying so you no longer have to keep the commandments is a laughable idea. And I want you just to consider where Rabbi Freitag is coming from in this debate. The Torah teaches that Israel, the Jewish people, are expected to keep the commandments. In Rabbi Freitag's view, the New Testament teaches that Jewish people who follow Yeshua as the Messiah cease to be Jewish because they then no, are no longer expected to keep the commandments. So Rabbi Freitag thinks the gospel erases Jewish people. During the debate, Rabbi Freitag brought up Deuteronomy 13, a text in the Torah that teaches if one claims to be a prophet and produce a miraculous sign, but they lead Israel away from keeping the commandments, they're a false prophet. And Jewish counter-missionaries use Deuteronomy 13 to argue that Yeshua and Paul are false prophets because from their perspective, Yeshua and Paul lead Jewish people away from keeping the commandments. And this is relevant to this morning's topic because the standard interpretation of Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, verse 15 through 19, is that Yeshua abrogates Israel's dietary laws. So I want to start uh, tonight's topic by just reading the text, just reading uh, Mark 7, verse 15 through 19 from the NRSV. The text says, There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. Speaking, Yeshua speaking there. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, So are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart, but the stomach, and goes out into the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. Again, the standard interpretation of Mark 7, verse 15 through 19, is that Yeshua abrogates Israel's dietary laws. And this reading goes all the way back to the third century theologian origin. 
counter-missionary uh, Gerald Siegel can confidently assert on the basis of Christian scholarship that Mark is very explicit in declaring that Jesus meant specifically the nullification of the dietary laws of clean and unclean food. Mark adds, thus he declared all foods clean. So if the, inter- if the dominant, if the standard interpretation of Mark 7, 15 through 19 is correct, then Yeshua is a false prophet because according to Deuteronomy 13, uh, according to Deuteronomy 13, because Yeshua would be a messianic claimant leading Jewish people away from keeping the commandments, away from living a life of obedience to the commandments and specifically the dietary laws. So we need to be able to respond to the standard reading of Mark 7, verse 15 through 19 as a messianic Jewish community. Thankfully, in recent years, the consensus reading has been challenged in scholarship, and for good reason. And I'll just give you three reasons um, as, as we start this. The interpretation, the standard interpretation of Mark 7, 15 through 19 is implausible. One reason being is because Yeshua wears tzitzit. And this happens, we see this in Mark chapter 6, verse 56. This is just one verse before Mark 7, where we read, And wherever Yeshua went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. What are they touching? Yeshua's tzitzit. Right. The reason God instructs Israel to wear the tzitzit is to remind the people to observe all the commandments. Wearing tzitzit also has an effect on others in the community. By wearing tzitzit, one communicates Torah faithfulness to the rest of the community. Jewish people can see each other's see each other wearing tzitzit and be reminded to live a life of faithfulness to God and the commandments. We see that in Numbers chapter fifteen, verse thirty-seven through forty. So when Yeshua shows up to this discussion and this this meal, really with with the scribes and Pharisees and his disciples wearing tzitzit, Yeshua is communicating obedience to all the commandments which would include the dietary laws found in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. So if Mark 7, if Mark 7, 15 through 19 is Yeshua teaching that the Torah's dietary laws are eliminated, if they're abrogated, he would be communicating two contradictory things at the same time. One, he would be communicating keeping the commandments by wearing tzitzit, but then you don't have to keep the dietary commandments with his speech, if that traditional interpretation is correct. So that would be deeply hypocritical. So the standard interpretation of Mark 7, 15 through 19 is implausible because Yeshua wears tzitzit, which communicates obedience to all the commandments, including Israel's dietary laws. A second reason why the traditional interpretation is implausible is because Yeshua rebukes the Pharisees present for disobeying the Torah. So Pharisees and scribes ask Yeshua why some of his disciples eat without ritually washing their hands. And Yeshua responds by highlighting their hypocrisy. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Yeshua calls out a tradition that these Pharisees are following, where they devote their possessions to God, but these Pharisees use this tradition to avoid caring for their parents in their old age. Yeshua's point is that they are upholding their tradition but in doing so, they are breaking the commandment in Exodus 20.12 to honor your father and mother. Keeping this particular tradition in the way the Pharisees are keeping it, their prioritization of it over the commandments causes them to break one of the Ten Commandments. Keeping this in mind, New Testament scholar Dr. Matthew Thiessen makes the following observation. He says, 
Mark's Jesus stresses the necessity of keeping God's commandments. Consequently, any reading that depicts Jesus as rejecting God's commandment to Israel to avoid eating unclean animals results in a Jesus who is irrational at best and deeply hypocritical at worst. Is Mark so bumbling a narrator that he fails to notice this result himself? So the traditional interpretation of Mark 7, 15 through 19 turns Yeshua into a fool for not realizing his contradictory teachings or simply a hypocrite. Neither of those are good options. Not just this, but think about what it would mean in Yeshua's first century Jewish context for him to teach that Jewish people could now eat pork, that all foods are clean in the sense all foods are now kosher, they're permitted, as the traditional interpretation maintains. Well, in the second century BC, the Seleucid king Antiochus attempted to abolish Judaism from his empire, and part of his program to do this was to compel Jewish people to eat pork under threat of torture and death. This is, this is the historical context for the story of Hanukkah. And we read about this in the book of 2nd Maccabees and 4th Maccabees. And in those texts, in 2nd Maccabees and 4th Maccabees, we see, I have the text above, um, it recounts Jewish people giving up their lives for refusing to eat pork because of their loyalty to God and keeping his commandments. New Testament scholar Dr. David De Silva comments, during the first century, um, the violation of Kashrut was also the means by which the martyrs would symbolically renounce their loyalty to the covenant and thus publicly shame the covenant God. So during the first century, Jewish people refusing to eat pork was not just obeying any particular commandment. Like wearing tzitzit, it represented loyalty to God and the commandments at large. So the point here is that it's highly unlikely that Mark would present Yeshua as the Messiah, literally in the first verse of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It would be highly unlikely that Mark would present Yeshua as the Messiah and then invalidate that claim by presenting him as a false prophet in Mark seven fifteen through 19. So just to highlight these, uh, the reasons why Mark seven fifteen through 19, the traditional interpretation of that passage is implausible, is because Yeshua wears tzitzit, which communicates obedience to all the commandments, including Israel's dietary laws. Two, if the standard interpretation is correct, Yeshua would be a fool or hypocrite because in that interpretation, Yeshua rebukes the Pharisees present for disobeying the Torah while he teaches against the Torah, Israel's dietary laws. And three, it's highly unlikely that Mark would present Yeshua as the Messiah and then invalidate that claim by presenting him as a false prophet in Mark 7, 15 through 19. So all that to say is the standard interpretation really needs to be questioned and, and really is implausible. So what, is the te- what does the text mean? Like, what is Mark chapter 7, 15 through 19 actually saying? Well, let's read it. Let's, let's read the Mark 7, 15. He says, There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. So in context, Yeshua is answering the Pharisees' question about the traditional practice of ritual hand-washing. The context concerns ritual purity. So in, in order to understand Yeshua's argument, we need to have a grasp on ritual purity in the Torah. So the tabernacle and later the Jerusalem temple was a sacred space where God dwelled with Israel. God protects his people and safeguards his presence in his holy place by forbidding Israelites from entering his space in a state of ritual impurity. As we read in Leviticus 15.31, you shall put the Israelites on guard against their uncleanness, lest they die through their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle, 
which is among them. In the Torah, there are two kinds of impurity, ritual impurity and moral impurity. And being in a state of ritual impurity is, is not sinful. It's actually, an, it's actually natural and inevitable that Israelites will become ritually impure throughout their lives. Sources for ritual impurity include menstruation, childbirth, semen emission, corpses, etc. And moral impurity is different. The sources of moral impurity are sins such as idolatry, sexual immorality, and murder. The effects of ritual impurity and moral impurity differ. The effects of ritual impurity is that it only lasts for a certain period of time and it's contagious, while the effects of the effect of moral impurity defiles the sinner, the land, and the sanctuary. So again, being in a state of ritual impurity is not sinful. In fact, one needs to be in that state in order to obey certain commandments, like burying your dead, right? And it's and it's part of the natural functions of human life. However, moral impurity is sinful. Okay, so what about Jewish people eating non-kosher animals? Would this fall under the category of ritual impurity or moral impurity? And this is important as we uh, understand the context for understanding Mark 7.15. So we can answer this question by reading the text in Leviticus 11. So in Leviticus 11, verse 1, we read, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel. Okay, so let's stop there. The instructions are for Israel. God goes on to forbid Israel from eating certain animals. And it's important to note that Leviticus 11 does not say that camels and pigs are unclean, period. The, the, the words there are very important. The text says that these animals are unclean for you. The you here is the people of Israel. Pork and shellfish and camels, these, these, these animals are unclean for Jewish people. The text does not say they are unclean for Gentiles. God sets up the dietary instructions for Israel to make Israel distinct as Israel. So while ritual defilement is ameliorated with ritual immersion, there's no such solution for Israel eating unkosher animals. It's called an abomination, and the ultimate punishment is exile. And we read that in Leviticus 20. So in the Torah, Israel eating non-kosher animals belongs to the category of moral defilement. So with this ritual and moral impurity context in mind, let's read Mark 7.15 again. Yeshua says, There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. A first century Jew hearing Mark 7.15 would not conclude that Yeshua abrogated Israel's dietary laws. Because one, the context is about ritual purity. It's about whether eating permitted food without ritually washing your hands defiles you. And two, Jewish people are not defiled from the pork itself. Pork is not unclean in itself. God declares it unclean for Israel, Jewish people. The defilement comes from disobeying God's instruction not to eat it. So like other sins that morally defile, the defilement comes from the inside. It's the disobedience which comes from the heart. So after examining the evidence from the Torah on the sources of impurity and the direction impurity moves, Jewish Talmud scholar Dr. Yair Furstenberg from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, he writes this comment. He says, It seems then that no biblical source actually suggests that contamination can spread through ingestion. In the Hebrew Bible, eating, unlike emission or discharge, is not a means of transferring defilement. This is a really important statement on his Yair Furstenberg describing what does the Torah teach about the impurity. Because from the Pharisees' perspective, 
it's possible, for them they're thinking, it's possible that they may have touched something that was, that richly contaminated their hands throughout the day. You know, they're in the marketplace, right? Maybe there was a, a dead animal that they accidentally came in contact with. So to prevent that ritual contamination from spreading onto their food they touch and entering into their body, they ritually wash their hands before eating as a preventative, right? So building on Dr. Furstenberg's work, Jewish scholar Dr. Daniel Boyarin, he, he makes this really important point. He says, what does cause bodily impurity then? According to the Torah, it's if not things that are ingested into the body, fluxes of various types, menstrual blood, the emission of semen, in short, things that come out of the body. Mark 7.15 clearly reproduces the exact law of the written Torah, as just laid out here. Impurity is conveyed by things that come out from the inside, that come out from inside the body, not, thing, not from things that enter the body. So, Dr. Warren's point is that in Mark 7.15, Yeshua succinctly is teaching what the Torah says about the source of impurity and the direction it moves. According to the Torah, impurity does not enter the body, it comes out of the body. Okay, but what about Mark 7.19c? Thus he declared all foods clean. Does that verse mean that Yeshua abrogated Israel's dietary laws? No, I don't think it does. And I think the best way this has been addressed is by New Testament scholar Dr. Logan Williams in his paper, The Stomach Purifies All Foods, Jesus' Anatomical Argument in Mark 7, 18 through 19. So Dr. Williams, uh, he won the 2022 Paul J. Ockmeyer Award for New Testament Scholarship. This was awarded to him for this paper. It's going to be published in the peer-reviewed journal New Testament Studies. And I was had the privilege of attending uh, his presentation of this paper at the Society of Biblical Literature Conference back in November. So after after his presentation, uh, I got to talk to him for, for a while and recently told him I was speaking on this topic at Messiah Conference. So he enthusiastically sent me his research. So I'm really excited that I'll be, I'll be able to present you uh, this cutting-edge research on Mark 7, 15 through, on Mark 7, 18 through 19 um, at Messiah Conference before it's even published in an academic journal. So this, here we go. Dr. Williams' thesis is this. First, he argues that the clause katharidzon panta tabromata should not be translated as Mark's parenthetical comment, thus he declared all foods clean. Instead, it should be rendered as part of Yeshua's speech, thus the person purifying all foods. And two, Yeshua's argument in Mark 7, 18 through 19 is that food ritually defiled by unwashed hands is unable to defile a person because the stomach is an agent of purification, which renders all defiled foods clean. So I know, what, what, is that, what does all that mean? How do you argue that? Well, that's what we're going to do right here. So we'll start by addressing the translation. And here is the NRSV translation of Mark 7, 18 through 19. Yeshua said to them, or he said to them, So are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart but the stomach and goes out into the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. Translation involves a process of interpretation, and the standard translation of Mark 7.19c treats Yeshua as the subject of the participle katharitzom, the word there in, in yellow that means clean or cleaning. But one problem with this is that in Mark 7, 10 through 13, Yeshua stresses the necessity of keeping the commandments. So if Yeshua is the subject of the Greek word katharitzon, 
and declares all foods clean in the sense that Israel's dietary laws are done away with, this turns Yeshua into a hypocrite. He would be stressing the necessity of obeying the commandments while rejecting the commandments concerning the eating of forbidden animals. And I would also add that he is doing this while wearing tzitzit, which again communicates obedience to all the commandments, including the dietary laws. A grammatical problem with the standard translation and interpretation of Mark 7:19c is that it would require the participle katharitzon, clean, to modify the verb lege, he said, 35 words removed and after direct discourse. You could see that in the slide there. Dr. Williams observes that this would be the only instance in Mark's gospel in which a participle follows direct discourse while also modifying the main verb of the clause which came prior to that discourse. So the best course of action in in this is to find a subject that is closer in proximity to the participle katharitzon, the word there, clean. And Dr. Williams has identified the implied subject of katharitzon as anthropos, the person, which is referenced three times in Mark 7, 18 through 19, and modifies the verbs eisperuotai, coming in, and ekperuotai, going out. So here's Dr. Williams' translation of the text. Do you not understand that everything from outside going into a person is not able to defile them because it enters not into their heart but into the stomach and is cast out into the latrine, thus the person purifying all foods? In Mark 7, verse 18 through 19, Yeshua explains that the reason ritually contaminated foods cannot defile a person is because the person, specifically their stomach, is an agent of purification that renders all food ritually clean when it comes out as excrement. Okay. This probably does not make a lot of... Yeah, it sounds laughable, but go with me. This probably does not make a lot of sense for us today because today we associate purifying and cleaning with getting rid of germs, right? And excrement, it's disgusting, right? It's, it's gross. But ritual purity in the Torah is not specifically concerned with what is gross, but what is associated with death. So to help you see why Yeshua's argument makes sense in his first century Jewish context, let's look at a quick survey of Jewish views of excrement. I know you probably weren't expecting to hear that this morning. Um, and I'm really sorry I have to do this, discuss this right before lunch, but I did not have control over the schedule, so uh, don't, don't blame me. Um, yeah, okay, here we go. So Deuteronomy 23, verse 12 through 14, provides the procedure for burying excrement outside the war camp when Israel needs to fight her enemies. If someone becomes ritually unclean because of nocturnal emission, they're required to leave the camp and not return until they become ritually clean. However, the command to defecate outside the camp is because excrement is an unseemly thing. The passage in Deuteronomy 23 does not say that excrement is ritually impure or can transmit impurity. Jewish scholar and archaeologist Dr. Jody Magnus, uh, she writes the following comment. The legislation in Deuteronomy 23, 9-14, implies that excrement is indecent and must be hidden from God's view, but it does not state that excrement is impure, ritually impure. Most ancient Jews, including the Pharisees and later rabbis, also did not consider excrement to be ritually impure. It was gross, but it was not ritually impure. Josephus, a Pharisee and historian, writing at the end of the first century, reports on what he considers to be unusual about the Essenes' defecation habits. And the Essenes, of course, is the Qumran community, right? In Jewish Wars 2, 148-149, Josephus writes, 
And though this discharge of the excrements is a natural function, they make it a rule to wash themselves after it as if defiled. So Josephus finds it peculiar that the Essenes ritually wash themselves after defecating. The comment indicates that Josephus, like most other Jews, do not, does not consider excrement to be ritually impure. The Mishnah is even more explicit on this issue. In Mishnah Makshurin 6-7, the text says, The following cause, cause neither uncleanness nor susceptibility to uncleanness. Sweat, rotten secretion, excrement, blood issuing without any of these, liquid issuing from a child born in the eighth month. Rabbi Yossi says, except it's blood. The discharge from the bowels of one who drinks the water of Tiberius, even though it, the excrement, it comes out clean. In the Jerusalem Talmud, there's a discussion about having a toilet in the temple. And there's a text here, Pesachim 7.12, where Rabbi Yossi answers, And is excrement a matter of ritual impurity? Is it not merely a, rather a matter of, of cleanliness being considered filth? So the discussion there is, can you have a toilet in the temple? And it's saying it's not about ritual impurity. It's just because it's, it's just gross, right? It's, it's a matter of uncleanliness. Josephus' view that excrement is not ritually impure is corroborated by th- those texts in the, Mish- in the Mishnah and the Jerusalem Talmud. But there's this great text that, in the Tosefta where we learn why many rabbis thought that ritually contaminated food comes out ritually pure as excrement. And it's a long quote, but I think it's worth reading to help uh, un- help understand the way Yeshua's argument, how it makes sense in a Jewish context. So I'll read it. Everything swallowed by a person or cattle or beast or birds is pure. If it decomposed or exited from below as excrement, it is pure. If someone drank impure water and vomited it up, it is impure because it was defiled when it went out. If one, if one immersed or if it decomposed or it came out below, it is pure. If one drank other impure liquids, even though he immersed and vomited them out, they are unclean because they are not purified in the body. If they decomposed or exited, they are pure. If a cow which drank impure water vomited it up, it is impure because it is not made pure in the body. If it decomposed or went out below as excrement, it is pure. So this text presents the view that excrement is ritually pure because the body purifies all foods that enter it. Talmud scholar Dr. Shlomo Nia, he comments, From all of these sources, a view emerges about the place of the digestive system of man and of animals, in the domain of impurity and purity. That which is digested is purified in the body. The digestive system is a sort of purification machine which purifies all foods that enter it from outside. So with this Jewish context in mind, Yeshua's response in Mark 7, 18 through 19 makes more sense. I'll read it again. Do you not understand that everything from outside going into a person is not able to defile them because it enters not into their heart, but their stomach and is cast out into the latrine, thus the person purifying all foods? So just to now put it in outline form. Some foods that go, Yeshua's argument is some foods that go into the body are actually contaminated with ritual defilement. Example, through being touched with defiled hands. But all excrement made from food cannot be ritually impure. Therefore, the person, specifically their stomach, which produces excrement, purifies everything that enters it from ritual defilement. And therefore, nothing that enters a person and goes into their stomach is able to defile the person. So with more with explanations, now let's look at the translation with these explanations for context, right? So everything from outside going into a person 
even if it has contracted ritual defilement, is unable to defile a person because it enters not into their heart, but into the stomach, which acts as a purifying agent, and is cast out as excrement, which is incapable of being ritually unclean, into the sewer, thus the person, specifically their stomach, purifying all foods. Okay, now before I end here, I want to say that Yeshua is not against hand-washing in principle. Yeshua actually participates in ritual hand-washing in Mark 7. We know this because in Mark 7, verse 1 through 2, the Pharisees noticed that some of Yeshua's disciples did not ritually wash their hands, which assumes that Yeshua and the rest of his disciples did ritually wash their hands. Yeshua was not against hand-washing in principle. He was against hypocrisy and improper prioritization of commandments and traditions. Yeshua opposed the hypocrisy of these particular Pharisees for elevating their tradition over Torah commandments. So, to summarize, the standard interpretation of Mark 7, 18-19 is implausible because Yeshua wears tzitzit, which communicates obedience to all the commandments, including Israel's dietary laws. Two, if the standard interpretation is correct, Yeshua would be a fool or hypocrite because in that interpretation, Yeshua rebukes the Pharisees present for disobeying the Torah while he teaches against the Torah, Israel's dietary laws. And three, it's unlikely that Mark would present Yeshua as the Messiah and then invalidate that claim by presenting him as a false prophet in Mark 7, 15 through 19. So what is what does it mean? Well, in Mark 7, 15, Yeshua teaches that according to the Torah, impurity does not enter the body, it comes out of the body. Yeshua argues from rabbinic principles and reasoning rooted in Torah to explain why ritually contaminated food cannot defile a person. The stomach is an agent of purification. Food comes out ritually clean as excrement. And Mark 7, 19c is not Mark's parenthetical comment on Yeshua's statement. It is a continuation of Yeshua's explanation that the digestive system purifies all ritually contaminated foods. So Yeshua is not a fool. He's not a hypocrite. He's not a false prophet. The traditional interpretation of Mark 7, 15 through 19 is wrong. Yeshua does not eliminate Israel's dietary laws. He does not teach that Jewish people can now eat pork. Rather, in this text, Yeshua addresses a particular halakhic question the Pharisees were concerned about. What if a person eats permitted food with ritually defiled hands? Does that impurity contract onto the food and enter their body, making them impure? Yeshua's answer is no. In Mark 7.15, Yeshua teaches that according to the Torah, impurity does not enter the body, it comes out of the body. And again, Mark 7.18-19 is Yeshua using rabbinic principles and reasoning rooted in Torah to explain why ritually contaminated permitted food cannot defile a person. The reason is because the stomach is an agent of purification. Food comes out ritually clean as excrement. <laughs> 